The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Know the difference. Now, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News. Hey, hey, and here we go. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Glad you are here. Know the difference. One team, one plan, one fee. We're going to demonstrate that in the next hour. On the way, if you own a company, if you're a CFO, you're an HR director, employees want financial education, but you're caught between doing your business and providing for them. How do you do that? Retirement Plan Services is a department within Annex Wealth Management. Tom Parks is going to talk about that. Ask Annex is on the way. And then we talk a lot about the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee, but who are they and what do they do? We've got two of them here, and we're going to do our week in review in a second, but this is deeper, so you're going to hear what they do on behalf of our clients. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano is our President and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thank you, Danny. And of course, you know, we have beaten this inflation argument to death. However, we have some possible good news coming up next week, Wednesday, when the Fed meets. And a lot of the inputs that they're getting, they got some on Friday, and they're going to get some more information on Tuesday, the CPI and the PPI, Derek. On Friday, we heard from, from the government on the producer price index, and essentially it was a disappointing number. Food prices were up actually 3.3% in November on a month-over-month basis. So inflation continues to be an issue. And the CPI, of course, will be reported on Tuesday. Then we hear from the FOMC on Wednesday. That's right, on Wednesday. And this is what we're expecting is a 50 basis point hike. And why that is significant is you'll recall that in the beginning of the year, you know, pre-March, we are at essentially a 0% bound range, 0%. And they have raised the rates six times already and a seventh time coming on Wednesday. And it's the fastest rate increase we've ever seen in our careers and number of increases. So we're going to try to comprehend what the Fed is saying on Wednesday, that are they near the end of this rate raising cycle? And and the good news is if they do raise it 50 basis points, that'll put us at 4.5% on the Fed funds rate, which will be higher than the two-year yield. And what we've often said is the two-year yield really does the work for the Fed. So the Fed is now caught up. They were behind the curve. Now they've caught up. We've seen all sorts of secondary indications that inflation is easing, whether it's used car prices, the price of lumber, uh, price of gasoline. So it's a really... What, what I'm going to focus on, not so much as the, is what they do in terms of the rate, it's what they say in terms of guidance. Are they going to say, maybe we're going to pause and see what the data suggests? Yeah, and again, you just said I, the word that I'm going to look for, Derek, is parity uh, or something like market neutral. And again, you know, we always say don't fight the Fed, but the Fed is looking at market rates. So as you said, if they've raised that short-term interest rate over the two-year number, they are in somewhere in the neighborhood of market parity. We'll have to listen. And of course, they do know that all of these rate raises have a lagging effect and why that's important is because as we go into 2023 we will see a slowdown and in fact the base case for most economists that we will have a recession in 2023 that's the thought the one good thing the fed has on its side however is that consumer balance sheets are in terrific shape and 70 percent of the u.s economy is consumer driven and we saw that we got the pmi both manufacturing and services manufacturing 
manufacturing PMI is already in a recession, but services are not. 57 was a report. That's an expansion. And consumers have a lot of cash. They don't really care what the Fed funds is doing as long as they have cash in their wallets. And that may start to dissipate, however, because credit card usage is going up. People's Our savings rates are going down. And we've seen a lot of distributions or requests from distributions from companies for employees getting their 401ks out. So there is a stress indicator. That stress indicator is up. And it's actually a statistic that you showed me called the stress indicator. It's wild. You add up the year-over-year change in food prices, what current mortgage rates are, and what the price of of gasoline has done. And that's at a very elevated level. It started to turn down, but usually when you see situations like that, that is what causes the Fed to tighten and trigger a recession. So again, the jury's out. The United States has been an oasis. We're certainly doing better than other parts of the world in terms of inflation. And the Fed has been very aggressive and the U.S. consumer is still in good shape. And so the final takeaway, of course, is, you know, you like to be a contrarian. And when most economists say that we are going to have a recession, there's a possibility that that will not happen. And so we could get a counter trend rally that is not expected. And of course, that is why you always talk about a balanced portfolio. And, you know, one thing I saw this week, you know, Wall Street strategists in December published their forecast for 2023. For the first time in 42 years, they actually project a down market in 2023. We'll see if they're we'll see if they're right, Danny. If we can help and get you ready for 2023 and beyond, you've heard what is probably coming. How about it? We do investment in retirement planning, tax planning. We do estate planning. We do it as a fee-only fiduciary. The most important thing, you need to remember that because there is a difference between financial advisors. Head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. We can review. Want to hear it again? Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel this weekend. The Axiom. Spotify at the top of the hour. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Sunday, December 11th. We're going to be right back on 92.5 Fox News. Those new smartwatches give you all sorts of insights on your personal health. Heart rate, steps, all right there. Wealthmetric gives you key insights on your financial health. If you're looking for analysis and data on your financial health, get your Wealthmetric by visiting AnnexWealth.com. We're back. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Quick reminder, sign up for the Axiom, our weekly newsletter. We're on social media. We're LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, YouTube. Great. With lots and lots of produced videos from Annex Wealth Management. Also, our SWAT podcast every single Monday morning, digging in deep with members of the investment committee. Also, stick around. We are going to dig in deeper on that investment committee. The podcast that I'd really like to hear is about the past Annex Wealth Management Christmas parties, which we were talking about before we Mm -hmm. (laughs) But that's another show entirely. And that might have to be a podcast all (laughs) by itself. Derek Felsky is Chief Investment Officer. He is in the studio. So is Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Yeah, thanks, Danny. And of course, you know, there's been some positive developments. You know, we talked about a recession and inflation in the previous segment, but there is positive developments that we can talk about. And of course, you have laid out that argument. Well, oil, for example, is now down on a year-over-year basis. I mentioned earlier, gasoline prices are below where they were before Russia invaded Ukraine. So that's a positive. That's a tax cut for consumers. In addition, uh, China is easing their COVID uh, lockdown restrictions. China has been, you know, intermittently shut down for over a year, and that's restricted demand for energy and the rest. And finally, the U.S. dollar is down almost 9% from its recent highs, and that's going to be a positive for earnings going forward. And so can I be Debbie Downer here? First of all, oil is down, no question about that. But, you know, there is this pressure around the world 
for energy. And of course, we know what's happening with Russia and perhaps some of the floors that are going on. And then, of course, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, all of those excesses have got to be refilled. So this could turn around and oil prices could go back up as we go into early 23. Well, and, but we do like, we like oil stocks tactically. We like the dividend yields. We like the PE multiples. We like the free cash flow generation. So let's hope it does, obviously, for our clients. And, but, and, and let me be Debbie Downer on China. All right. So, of course, yes, it's it's reopening. But, you know, they haven't had the COVID cases that we have had here in the United States, in fact, for around the world. And they don't have our vaccines. So, you know, as they reopen, we could see COVID get out of control over there. That, well, that's true. Yet I look at the market. I don't think about opinions. I look at the market and I see Chinese stocks making new six months high. So somebody knows something. If things were so bad over there, those stocks would not be moving. All right, like they so are. I'll leave you with a good one. The U.S. dollar declining has a, a significant effect on earnings. Right. It could add 5% to earnings in the S&P 500 next year, which would then basically make the estimates flat year over year. And that's not bad. We'd be trading at about 17 times forward, which is a reasonable multiple. And uh, there's a lot of negativity. We saw CEO confidence is at levels that have been associated with stock market bottoms. Uh, we know that sentiment on retail investors is very negative. All the headlines are negative, yet the stock market made a low over a month ago. And so we talk about CEO confidence lows and play CEO for a moment, and you're in a board meeting, and you're talking about what should we do with employees or CapEx expenditures. You go, well, maybe let's pull back. And that is part of the psychology that you often talk about. Right. And, you know, it's a contrary signal. We talk about that fear and greed index a lot. It got as low as 10 a few few months ago. It's now around 57, so a more neutral reading. We're into the year-end period. Every cycle since 1950, after a midterm election, the market has been up 12 months later. We know that after a 25% decline in the S&P 500 over the next one, three, and five years, you've had great returns. So when you mention a balanced portfolio, what you're really saying is stick with your plan. Yeah, that's right. And lastly, I want to talk about earnings estimates. Now, that won't happen again until January, but that's not that far away. And as you said, there really hasn't been the downward revisions that we have expected. And so either the strategists in the revisions are going to be correct or earnings are going to come down and they're going to get a surprise. Well, think about this. With all the negativity we know that's out there, the Atlanta Fed is saying GDP in the fourth quarter is going to grow 3%. Everybody's talking about a recession. It's it's like waiting for Godot. Maybe it'll happen. Sure, it will at some time. Right. Goldman Sachs doesn't think the Fed is going to cut rates till 2024, which tells you they don't believe the economy is going to crack either. Right. And so what that means if the Fed does not cut rates is they want to raise those rates and keep those rates high to wring out inflation out of the system. That is for sure what the Federal Reserve is trying to do. And we'll have to watch what kind of effect that has on unemployment here in the United States. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano is our President and CEO. Folks, it only takes a couple of minutes to get the ball rolling, but that's up to you. you got to fill out that contact form when you click the Get Started button. That just starts the process. We get to know you. You get to know us. This is the time Annex Wealth Management is ready. What happens when you save and invest and build a great retirement nest egg then you have trouble spending it. We're going to talk about the psychology of spending in retirement. That is coming up next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? It was drilled into our heads. Do the right thing. Put away and save money while you're working. Don't touch it. 
keep building it. And it's hard to argue because that's an excellent way to build a solid nest egg to draw upon when retirement happens. But what happens when our human nature creeps in? After all, there's a psychology behind spending in retirement, and that's what we're going to talk about with Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development at CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, right or wrong, Deanne, we should save and invest as we go along until every day becomes a Saturday. What's wrong with that? Yes, Jenny, we should. And most people feel they are doing the right thing, putting away their money in retirement plans, plus savings, maybe even a 529 for tuition planning. The point is they're saving while they're working. They're told, don't touch it, just keep building. Then when the excitement of retirement is upon them and that dust settles, they realize they need to replace their work paycheck. Is that hard for them to grasp that? Decades, they've been seeing paychecks, and then they turn into the ones who are issuing the paycheck. And it's not coming in anymore. It's it's going out. Does that mess with our heads? I'm kind of a glass half empty guy anyway. I don't see you that way, Danny, but it does mess with our heads. It's interesting, actually. They're used to socking away for other things, like putting money away to buy a car, or even in that college tuition plan. And they know that when it's time for tuition, they pull the money out of the plan, it seems natural. They're ready to buy the car or put the down payment on the house. They just do it. But somehow, for some reason, they get the psychology of, well, I'm not working anymore, so I can't let that retirement pot of money go down at all. This is actually false. It's supposed to go down. It's supposed to fund our retirement. But there are all sorts of unknowns that play into our fears, such as, how long will I live? Could I outlive my money? How much will I need if healthcare keeps going up? And Of course, I want to have enough money to do the fun things. And we all know without doing a financial plan, this can lead someone to stress out and go into the psychology of, well, I have to have actual income coming in to offset those expenditures. Even if people have substantial assets, do you find that they get nervous about running out of money? Absolutely, they do. They go from hearing, don't touch it, to touch it, and they they do fear running out. What they're not taking into consideration, though, there's still growth on their assets happening over time. They got the snowball in motion. They're not taking the entire thing out and putting it under a mattress, okay? So it is the power of compound interest working over the decades. Also, something, especially for women, comes into play. It's called bag lady syndrome. So this is the psychology. No matter where you are, how much you have, you have a fear of outlasting your assets and being a burden on your family. How hard is the fight to turn on Social Security at the right time? Do we feel that it's like, oh, 62, I want to get something? So I'm really glad you're bringing this up because many people then turn mentally to needing income in retirement to be able to pay their expenses when they can't get their head around, just pull from my retirement funds. So they turn on Social Security, and maybe they will turn it on right away. They retire, here they go. What they're doing is giving up the growth of their payment and what their payment would be in the future because of their fear of not having immediate income stream. But this is exactly why they've been putting away that money, remember to pull it out, use it for expenses. This is one of the biggest, I'll say it, mistakes that we as planners can see. People turn on all their sources of income right away when they retire, not thinking about the tax consequences, their cash flow situation, not thinking about how much they really actually need and how it might impact them, and not really doing the planning period. They just turn on the cash flows and try to deal with it from there. And this is where it's really all about that math. 
And we've got tools to help. One is the, at least what I think, the inelegantly named bucket strategy. <laughs> yeah, so we like to think of expenses in two different branches or tranches, buckets, if you will. Ooh, tranche is much fancier. <laughs> the first tranche is your expenses that you have to have. So basically, I have to have these basic expenses to keep my life running. Rent, mortgage, utilities, basic food in the fridge, gas in the car, personal maintenance. The second bucket is the fun bucket, I call it, the discretionary tranche or the, hey, I want to have bucket, not I need to have. This bucket might contain travel, extra entertainment, above and beyond expenditures, those sporting season tickets, for example. Now, the two buckets, equally important. However, if you think about it, the first bucket we have no control over. We got to pay our utility bills no matter what. The second bucket, however, we can expand and contract as we wish. It's discretionary. We controlled it. That psychologically gives us more freedom, especially in that early part of retirement. It's really important if we retire into a down stock market that we feel we have some flexibility. Look at what happened with people who might have retired in March during the COVID lockdown of 2020. Market went down sharply. What planning can do is keep newly retired people in times like that from saying, oh, Oh, gee, now I'm going to have to go out and get another job or I'll have to keep working and not be able to retire. It's about planning. It's about financial plans. And when we say financial plans, we're talking about running countless scenarios and possibilities that include a lot of projections. Absolutely. Planning makes us feel better about this bucket of money we've saved as a whole. It shows that over time, if properly invested, it keeps growing and working for us. So whatever life brings, we have a better understanding of how it impacts our money and our future. So in our last 30 seconds or so, I've got to ask, should we feel guilty if in the first part of retirement we spend more? And please tell me no. <laughs> no, not at all. Just be cognizant of it. People do usually spend more in their first year or so. We call it the go-go years. So even in their first decade. But this is, again, where planning can really help out. Right there. It's about planning. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, a CFP and a CDFA at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sure, there are market updates, but learn something new and interesting with the Know the Difference Minute from Annex Wealth Management. We'll go beyond the usual topics and dig in deep on developing and breaking stories. Catch them all on Spotify. Search Know the Difference Minute from Annex Wealth Management. It is time for Ask Annex. Same rules as always. If you've got a question for us, we'd love to hear it. AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. If we can help, you click that Get Started button. We're back from the Thanksgiving break. In the studio, Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager and a CFP. Welcome. Hi, Daddy. And Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, welcome to you. Hi, Danny. Got a bunch today. First one is from James. If my company contributes a match to my 401k, and if I leave in a year or two, I know the matching's void. Well, what happens to the gains from my investments? I'm weighing the pros and cons of opening one through my company or on my own. Well, James, employer plans will vary. Their vesting rules will vary from plan to plan. Typically, when they refer to vesting, it involves the employer's contribution and any gains associated with them. And you can always refer to your 401k summary plan description, and that should lay out the employer side of the vesting situation. Yeah, I think when you look at that, too, is that if you are there a year or two, and, and frankly, who knows in a year or two if you're even going to want to leave. So we don't we don't know those things for sure. But when you look at that, if, if you do get vesting and you have 20% or 40% of that match that you do get to keep, that's still free money that you don't get in any other way. So if you invest on your own, no one's giving you that free money, even if it's less than what you could have had. 
All I heard was free money, and yeah. who's not for that? Can't All beat right. that. <laughs> Next from Kyle. What are the general opinions regarding taking a lump sum of money versus DCA into an index fund? Say, for example, somebody receives a $5,000 bonus and wants to invest in an index fund. What are the pros, cons of buying $5,000, and then he names a fund, in one shot versus spreading it out into 12 individual lots throughout the year? To me, it comes to what is your goal with this money? When are you going to need it? What are you trying to protect yourself from? If this is something that you're going to access in 15, 20 years, spreading it out over one year is really not going to make very much of a difference. But if it's something that you think you're going to need soon, then that might make a lot of sense. Ultimately, when people are dollar cost averaging into something, they're trying to protect themselves from timing risk of putting that investment in and having the market immediately go down afterwards. So if that's something you're really concerned about, then yes, I would start to spread it out a little bit. But I would also kind of think of what's my time horizon on this and looking backwards, how much will that matter? Yeah, and that's a great point. And just also, where is the market? Are we trading at the all-time highs? Have we pulled back 30% like we have this year? You know, you got to take that into consideration too. Next up on Ask Annex, it's anonymous. My friend's dad has about $200,000 to invest, looking for the highest yield with little to no risk and something that can be liquidated easily in case of emergency. His bank is pushing an annuity. He doesn't know anything about them. Looking where to start. So annuities right away are not very liquid. There's a lot of rules that go into them. There's a lot of fees and penalties depending on when you get out and when you can actually even access that money in the first place. What I would start to look at, and you know, we want to caveat this with a lot of those disclaimers in terms of where you're coming from and, and what your risk level is and all those types of things. But obviously cash is extremely liquid. You can go to the bank at any point and get that. Money markets is kind of a step up from that from risk and timing. You can still get to that every day and they start to pay higher interest rates. A lot of the custodians that we work with, the interest rate that they're paying has gone up significantly this year, and it's a really attractive place to put short-term money in. And you start to broad out from that to maybe treasury bills, stuff like that, that's going to pay a little bit more and is extremely liquid as well, too. But I would start to look at things like that. But again, that also relates to what's your full financial picture? What, where does this fit into that? And, and some of the things you got to think about there. You know, with the Fed raising rates right now, we actually have an alternative to investments. We're actually getting some yield on our cash and the bonds are actually paying good interest now. So it's definitely something to look at. And just be careful too with those annuities. They say that, okay, maybe they're gonna pay you 4%, but they might charge you 3% in fees to get that 4%. So just do your due diligence. Just make sure you're informed. Next is from Phil. During earnings calls, what are you listening for besides forward guidance? Are follow-up questions from analysts helpful? Also, are earning calls the only time for truly valuable information? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's a lot that happens within earning calls. And, you know, certainly you get the management that's expressing how they feel the company is going and some of the things that they're looking out for. But also remember that they're a little bit biased. They work for that company. They have a motivation behind those calls. What we also really like to listen to, as, as you notated in the question, is the analyst questions. Often those analysts know those, those companies extremely well, and they're able to pull information out from those executives that they don't necessarily want to give out. But in terms of answering that question, sometimes that has to come out there where maybe a little bit more of that public information starts to come out there and starts to fill some of that story. We also like to look at how do those executives answer questions that might give us some guidance on what the overall economy is doing, what their sector or industry is doing as well too. So it might not be company specific, but as we start to do our research, we hear questions that go through there that gives us a little bit more color. How many earnings calls would you say the investment team listens to in the course of a year? 
Uh, it'd be hard to quantify that for sure. There's a lot of individual companies that we listen to, uh, you know, obviously each quarter, and then we start to pile that up because we want to hear how they answer from quarter to quarter as well, too. It's a high number for sure. I don't know how to quantify it, though. Every once in a while, you'll see on the news where it actually kind of gets contentious. Do you, do you hear that as well? Oh, for sure. Those Again, those analysts, they're trying to pull information out of the executives. And if they're not getting answers that they like or that they think they should be giving, it certainly will. Or when executives are coming out and putting out new information or new things that are happening, sometimes it does get a little bit too much. I'll have to listen. That is Ask Annex. Got a question for us? You head to our website, look for the Ask tab. If we can help you, hit that Get Started button. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, thank you. You're welcome. Matt Morsey, Investment Team Manager, thank you. Thank you, Danny. But you got to stick around. You got double duty today. You know, we mention our investment committee often, but who are they and what exactly do they do? That's coming up next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Week in Review, Know the Difference Minutes, Team Segments, Planning Topics, including Investments, Retirement, Tax, and Estate. It's all on the Annex Wealth Management YouTube channel, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Head to YouTube and search Annex Wealth Management. Know the Difference with Annex Wealth Management. Our radio shows always begin with a Week in Review recap of the market. And in it, we mention our investment committee. But who and what makes up that investment committee at Annex Wealth Management? We are about to find out. Joined by Matt Morsey, CFP and investment team manager at Annex. Hey, Matt. Hey, Danny. That's quite a crew there. You know, over the years, we've had plenty of representation of various teams at Annex on this show. The retirement planning team, the estate planning team, tax planning team. But outside of Dave Spano or Derek Felsky, not a lot on the radio about our investment committee. Just mentions. We're going to draw back the curtain if that's okay with you. That sounds great. Looking forward to it. Cool. Let's talk about that investment committee. First off, let's brag. It's a pretty smart bunch. Yeah, we at least like to think so. We've got multiple CFAs, CFPs, a PhD even on staff, master's degrees. So a lot of different background, a lot of different education, you know, routes that people took and that that helps add to that conversation that when we meet. Matt, please describe the scope of what that Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee does on behalf of our clients. Sure, so our responsibility is to manage the portfolios of our clients. That not only starts with how much risk is every client comfortable with taking, finding out what that is, and then managing that portfolio based off that risk tolerance, looking at what asset class allocations to use for them. So are we overweighting US stocks versus international stocks? Is it stocks versus fixed income, stuff like that. And then down to the security level. So are we using mutual funds, are we using ETFs, individual stocks or individual bonds? So it starts really high level at risk, but works all the way down to what 1% goes to where within that portfolio. That's on behalf of our clients. Most of our clients have lots of interactions with our wealth managers. How much contact does members of the Annex Wealth Management Committee have with those wealth managers? Oh, we have a lot. That's a a really big part of what we do. So we have wealth manager inside the committee as well, too. So that idea can flow through those committee meetings. But also on the day to day, a lot of what we do is work with our wealth managers to decide which portfolio is right for which client. And then how do we use that portfolio to reach their goals? So are there certain tax constraints that they might have? Are there certain legacy positions that they might bring over to Annex? And then we got to move our way around that position to make it be a part of that portfolio. So we work really, really closely with them. I've heard the term committee views. Does that mean a particular philosophy? I'm going to guess with a group as diverse as we've got on that committee, there's a variety of viewpoints. Can you, can you break that down a little bit? Yeah, some really lively conversations within the group. We all come at it different ways. Everybody has a little bit different background that came into that committee. So we do work through at the end of all of that, what our view is of the committee in terms of what level of risk should be taken. Again, going back to some of those things that we, we talked about earlier. So at the end of the day, we all come to a consensus of what we want to 
do. And then that's what echoes through our client portfolios. But yeah, it takes a little bit of work to get to that point, And certainly the backgrounds help with that conversation. Getting back to the clients of Annex Wealth Management, the investment committee provides customization for clients if necessary. Can you describe how that might work? Every client is different. You know, they come to us at different points in terms of where they are in their life, where they are from a savings perspective. Are they working? Are they retired? All the things that we talk about on the radio all the time in terms of how we customize financial plans for people works exactly the same way within portfolios. People have different risk levels. Some people are able to withstand the volatility that we've seen in the market. Other people, not as much. So we have to work through that in that portfolio, make sure that it's exactly right for that right person and find the things that we can do to help them out reach their financial goals with it. The Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee is headquartered at our headquarters. And whenever I am over there in that area, it's a, it's a really busy place. There's a lot of monitors, a lot of graphs, a lot of research information. Is this more like mission control or an NFL draft room? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I'm a big sports fan, so I'm going to pick the draft room where we're all kind of coming at it. We're all putting our insight in terms of where we need to be. So I kind of think about that way of, of scouts coming through and saying what players that they think are the players that you should draft. You know, what are the, the benefits of each one of them? And where should we be putting that resources as a team in order to, to bring in talent? So in terms of us, it's investments. And so we all have those conversations. And then as a group, we work through, OK, this is the right way to do that. This is how we want to put that viewpoint through. So I'd say more like an NFL draft room. I like that idea. I, I see you guys talking quite a bit, but I also know that there is a formal meeting, but the exchange of information is constant. Yeah, we're a really close team. We talk constantly with each other. Uh, we formally meet every Tuesday morning as a committee, but subsets of that team meet almost every single day in other meetings, whether that is on investment selection, or maybe it is how do we make our process more efficient, or how do we upgrade the way that we look at things and, and improve on what we do as a team. So we meet every single day as subgroups within that committee, and then we come back every single week to discuss that. You know, I didn't realize until I was here a couple of years that similar firms actually don't have investment committees or investment teams. They, they outsource it. So like an outside company is making day-to-day, month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter decisions. I don't need to tell you that a local team is really where it's at. Yeah, it's much more personalized, I think. You know, you can really work with our wealth managers here, both from a client perspective going to them and then us coming from that other side in order to make sure that that portfolio is right versus having somebody that's far away that doesn't know who that client is, can't come into client meetings, maybe go through that portfolio with them or answer any questions that they have. Before I let you go, I did mention the investment committee doesn't get a lot of airtime, and that's only partially true. If you want to get into the nitty gritty, we've got the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast on Spotify that's usually up mid morning on Monday. You're part of that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We really like coming together to go through that format and, and have those conversations. It's a really good way to see how we talk to each other, how we make kind of decisions in terms of what we like, what we don't like, and come through with that. It's a, a great way to, to kind of hear what actually comes in through the committee meetings. Thanks for doing what you do. Matt Morrissey is a CFP and investment team manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Quick break, but we are going to be back with Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management Naples, coming up next on 92.5 Fox News. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Robert Chastain, branch director and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management here in Southwest Florida. Hey, Robert. Hi, Danny. So, folks, how far ahead do you plan? If you're 10 years out from retirement, it's not a bad idea to start thinking about what you want to do in retirement and how to get there. One of the steps that's recommended is to prepare a retirement spending plan 
I don't know about you, but I'm not. I don't know what I'm doing next week. Am I supposed to know in ten years? Absolutely, and you know what? Uh, here at Annex, we have uh, s- software programs that predict that, and we we input what you, what we think your expenses are going to be, what your investment accounts are going to grow to by the time you retire, and we spit it all out and tell you. Uh, if if you can make it to retirement, and that's what a lot of our clients like to know, they have a comfort in knowing that hey, I have put away enough money and I am on track. Yeah, and I like the way you say that at Annex. Here's what we help you do because it might sound you know pretty complex and really hard to do. That's why we uh, go alongside you and we help you out. Another recommended step is maximize your retirement plan contributions. That's fairly easy to do. You just kind of ratchet things up, right? Well, you know, it sounds easy on paper, but what a lot of people do not like to do is take a pay cut because if you are maximizing your retirement plan, you're pulling more money out of your paycheck. And, you know, sometimes that is hard to do. I just had a conversation two nights ago with uh, a niece of mine who's 24, just graduated, got her first first nursing job, and she had her 403B in front of her. And I said, guess what? You're going to the max and you're taking the whole match. And she's like, but, but Uncle Rob, I, you know, that's a lot of money. It's like, listen, it may seem like a lot now, but the more you put away now, you're 24, maybe you can retire 50, 55 instead of 65. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish I had people telling me that when I was your age. You know, another rule of thumb is if it doesn't hurt just a little bit, maybe it's not enough. So good good on you and good for her for choosing a great career like, like nursing. This next one is pretty easy. Review your Social Security record. That's easy to do because it's actually, you know, it's a government website, but it's actually fairly easy to navigate. But why is that important? Well, it's so important, right? If your name is uh, Jim Jones, guess what? There's probably two million other Jim Jones in the world and there could be errors on your record. Mm. So you get on that website and you put in your information and you make sure that they have all of your information correct. And remember, the government never makes a mistake, right? Now we all know that's not true. So that is the most important reason to get on that, make sure that they have recorded all of your earnings correctly. We're with Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida, if you're 10 years out from retirement. Back to some of the hard ones. Make a plan for your retirement health care needs. Yeah, that's a little tough. This topic is a, a deeper one. You know, um, there isn't, I mean, we've talked about this a couple times, Danny. There isn't anything that'll bankrupt you quicker than a catastrophic health care case, I mean, or, or a, a health need. And remember, government will drain all of your assets before they start using theirs. So if you have access to an HSA account, remember, you can put whatever the max is, but you pull that money out of there tax-free for healthcare expenses. And that can even be for prescriptions. I've seen some people have their eyes done. Could be some females that don't like the droop and their eye doctor said that they want to improve their eyesight and that that'll do it. But you don't pay tax on that. So you keep 100 cent dollars instead of 75 cent dollars. So in what what do I really mean by that? If your tax rate is 25 percent, 
you're receiving 75 cent dollars but with that hsa account you get a hundred cent dollars so it's the only time where you don't have to pay tax on something and if it goes for health care most of us at some point is going to need it you're going to use that money i have never heard it described that way i love that 79 cent money that's, 75 that's cent dollars versus yeah. Yeah, I love that. Here's one that might be kind of fun. And this is when you've been doing it a while, you're 10 years out from retirement, you inventory all sources of retirement income. Well, and, you know, which is a great idea. And if we build a uh, retirement plan for you, we're going to peel the onion right to the core and make sure we uh, find all those accounts. And there are websites out there, Danny, that will tell you if you have left accounts in certain places. It's called lost money. And after two years of inactivity, most banks and other financial places have to report that and hand it over to the state. So it shows up on these websites and we can go find it for you. I'm going to end the segment early so I can go to that website. Okay, here's another hard one. (laughs) Run retirement projections when you're 10 years out of retiring. That's tough, but with help, not so bad. And why do we run these projections? Well, if there is a shortfall or if you're way over the amount that you need, then maybe you might change the date of your retirement. So if you're way short, let's bulk this up. Let's raise the amount of money you're putting away so that we can hit the date that you want. And then if you're way over, you have other options to do something with those funds like that HSA account. Here's one that working with a fee-only fiduciary like Annex would really help. Formulate a retirement withdrawal strategy. And we say it all the time. You don't want to turn all your income sources on at once. If you look at those 75 cent dollars, Danny, let's go back to that. When you put money in your 401k, you're putting a hundred cent dollars in there. So you're getting a interest-free tax-free loan from the government. At Annex, in your plan, we're going to try and make you hold on to that interest-free tax-free loan as long as possible, working for you and growing for you. So we will definitely spend money that's already been taxed. I think the moral of our story is 10 years out of retirement is not too early to talk to Annex Wealth Management. It is definitely not because if we have more than 10 years, then maybe we can shave two, three, four years off your retirement and you can retire early. If we get you early enough and we get you on the plan and we have your projections out there, then maybe we can uh, shave some time off it. Robert Chastain, Branch Director and Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, Southwest Florida. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 92.5 Fox News. Those new smartwatches give you all sorts of insights on your personal health. Heart rate steps all right there. Wealthmetric gives you key insights on your financial health. If you're looking for analysis and data on your financial health, get your Wealthmetric by visiting AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? You might have grappled with the question, how much life insurance do I need? Not enough, and according to the commercials, a family might be in jeopardy if you pass, but is there a point when you more or less are self-insured and you might not need it? Let's dig in. And to talk about it, somebody highly qualified on both a professional and personal level, Eric Strom, Financial Planning Manager and CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Eric. Hi, Danny. Well, besides your professional training, you're also a husband and a father. So I figured you'd be perfect for this segment. Yes. And life insurance has been on our mind because we have a six-week-old baby right now. And so we <laughs> having a new child, you know, it's you always think about these things. And really, if you think about your financial life as a pyramid, the baby 
base of that pyramid is having your estate planning documents in order, having all of the appropriate insurances that you need, and having an emergency fund of three to six months of your expenses. And I believe that you've got to get those three things checked off before you can really move up the pyramid. How much insurance do you need is a tough question. I'm going to guess there's not a real correct answer, right? Well, there are rules of thumb, but you have to ask yourself, do I have kids or others who are financially dependent on me? How old am I and how close to retirement am I? It's a little bit more complicated than some of these rules of thumb. If you go to Google and you put in how much insurance do I need, you're going to be inundated with solicitations for insurance. It's going to look like the results, but the first page and a half or two are actually going to be ads. What I found after after further digging is a couple of rules of thumb I'd like to run by you. And the first, I guess, is super simple. It's you multiply your income by 10 to find out how much coverage you need. Does that work? It's not a bad starting point. And honestly, it's a lot better than many people do because many folks are simply uninsured entirely. I'm a fan of something that's slightly more complicated than just taking your income and multiplying by 10. I'm a fan of 12 times your income and then rounding that to the nearest $250,000. So still a very simple rule of thumb. You're not getting into the whole, am I paying for college and the mortgage? But that gets you, I think, a little bit closer. Here's another rule of thumb. Buy 10 times your income plus $100,000 per child for college expenses. How is that one? It's better. But if you're going to go down that road of considering college expenses, well, maybe you want to also consider your existing debts, like a mortgage. And while you're at it, maybe you also want to consider your existing assets and income streams that would survive you if you were to pass. I think that these rules of thumb are a great starting point, but there are actually worksheets available, Danny, where you can fill in your income and your age, retirement age mortgage balances and college and all that type of thing. And so what I did personally, I kind of thought about that 10 to 12 times your income. And I filled out one of these worksheets and kind of arrived at a blended number around there. It's interesting you mentioned that because that's number three. It's this thing called the dime formula. And I guess it would be kind of work sheet-ish. Dime is D-I-M-E, which is debt, income, mortgage, and education. That's closer to what you were talking about. Oh, definitely. I think that the important part is you want to think about your circumstances, right? If you're five years away from retirement, you have a much smaller life insurance need than someone like me. I'm in my late 30s, have a six-year-old and a six-week-old. So for me, there's a tremendous need for life insurance, right? And so I might need a higher multiple than someone whose kids are already grown up and you're three years from retirement. Someone like that may have very little or no life insurance need, even though they still have an income. So you can see how the income multiplier isn't always going to be that perfect solution. Yeah, there's not one size fits all. In fact, this is something we do for our clients, right? We look hard at their insurance. Oh yeah, we definitely do. Now we do not sell life insurance at Annex at all. However, we analyze hundreds of life insurance policies that our clients already have every single year. So we have a very active work that we're doing there. And so we're definitely helping people with how do you handle your existing life insurance as well as how much life insurance do you ultimately need at this time? Turning things around. Is there a point when somebody doesn't need life insurance? Well, this is the big conversation. So it's not as simple as an income multiplier. The older you are, the closer you are to retirement. Typically, your need for life insurance declines. And for some people, your 
need for long-term care insurance might actually increase. It really depends though on your circumstance. Again, we always say we're really big fans of saving for your financial future. If you've reached retirement and you've managed to save really well, you might be self-insured for long-term care insurance and life insurance. You might not need any insurance at all at that point. However, for some folks, you might have that long-term care insurance need as you get into retirement. You know, when you Google it, how much insurance do I need? You're going to be overwhelmed and you name it, it has been invented. There's term, there's whole life, there's universal life, there's index universal life, variable, variable universal. I mean, it's a huge list. Remember this. That is the big list that you just mentioned. And But many people's life insurance needs are temporary and can be met by lower cost, temporary term life insurance. That list you just mentioned, most of those are permanent cash value life insurance policies that combined investing and insurance together, which can be very expensive. Now, cash value policies can be very appropriate. For example, in the world of long-term care insurance, some of the best options include some of these cash value style policies. However, you really want to get multiple opinions if you're thinking about doing one of those types of policies you were just listing, which are, again, those are those cash value permanent policies. Get a second opinion with those because they're very expensive and oftentimes have a long obligation to them. It can be complex for investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning. Annex does it as a fee-only fiduciary. Our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Eric Strom, Financial Planning Manager, CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. Cut through the clutter with Axiom, the weekly newsletter from Annex Wealth Management. Subscribe today for seven insights built and delivered to you every Sunday. It'll help you navigate the markets and the things that affect your money. The Axiom. Sign up at AnnexWealth.com. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? We are losing sleep, ladies and gentlemen. Inflation near a 40-year high. It's taken its toll. Financial stress manifesting itself across the country. And if you're a company owner, CFO, or HR professional, it is affecting an important resource, your employees. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management, here to talk about it. Hey, Tom. Hello, Danny. Hey, what's that old saying? It's, hey, it's tough all over. But when it's tough all over and it impacts your employees, it slowly grinds away what makes an organization function at a high level. For sure. We spotted the same joint survey of 1,000 employees economic uncertainty caused by rising inflation and recession fears having a detrimental effect on the health and well-being of employees who are seeking more support from their employers than they're currently receiving. Should that be a surprise to employers? I think it shouldn't be, but Danny, when you really take a couple steps back, employers are facing a lot of the same concerns. These are legitimate concerns that people have. So given what I do for a living and the amount of engagement I have with employees, I don't think it should be a huge surprise to employers, but I don't knock them for it being being a surprise, I yeah. guess is kind of how I'd answer that one. They're really getting caught on both sides, right? The business pressure, the employee. That's right. It, it adds up sure. for sure. Here's how it breaks down. Less than half, 49%, feel they're on track to meet their financial goals and retire by their desired age. Those employees are concerned about inflation, insufficient income, and coping with debt and high interest rates. Millennials report the most stress followed by Gen Z, Gen X, and then boomers. Yeah, well, Danny, I will reserve judgment on the whole fact that the millennials are the ones who are complaining most about this stuff. But all of these concerns that people have are legitimate. And what I think a lot of employers don't understand, again, because they have so many concerns of their own, a lot of things vying for their time, is that these concerns 
people bring them to work. We are people. We're not just workers. Thinking about inflation, thinking about your financial concerns has a detrimental impact on your productivity and your attitude and all of that stuff at work. So this is not a good thing for employers. Financial wellness is important. You know, we work with companies to build healthy and well-run benefit programs. What have you seen that works to help better educate employees in this type of financial stress? And I'm guessing great financial education. Well, what we're talking about right now, Danny, is acknowledging that a problem to begin with is the first step. And then from there, communication is absolutely critical. I don't think fair to expect employers to be able to address all these concerns with their employees because, again, they've got their business to run and they have things to do. And so this is what we spend a lot of time doing with the employees of our clients, of the companies that we do 401ks with, because the 401k plan is often looked as the one financial instrument that all of the employees at the company share in common, regardless of how much they earn or what their financial disposition is. So it's the perfect avenue for providing this level of encouragement and education. Well, and here's the problem. So employees that were surveyed, they cut back on stuff. They learn to manage finances better. That's good. But they also look for jobs that might pay more, and that's not great for the employer. Companies don't want employees looking, so they probably need to kind of find ways to better educate toward better money management. But again, is that their job? Well, whether it's their job or not doesn't really matter, Danny. If that's what their workforce is expecting of them, you need to at least to some degree, accommodate the expectations and the needs of your workforce. So it's kind of immaterial whether whether people think it's their job or not. They got to get in the game. Okay, we're four minutes into this conversation. Got any good news? I do, actually. When it comes to financial wellness benefits, the majority of employees across generations choose retirement planning. That was 53% is the most sought after benefit. So for companies that are offering retirement plans, they're already off to a good start there um, with what people are looking at. It was followed by investment programs, which again is kind of akin to what you're talking about in the case of a 401k plan. That was at 42%. And then emergency savings came in at 38%. All of these conversations, if you're offering a financial wellness program, and that is a a nebulous term, Danny, to be fair, it's kind of hard. It's like, what does that really mean? And that's why we always funnel things through the 401k plan, because it's a place to start where it's an obvious employee benefit that has to do with financial wellness and your overall finances. If we can help you get toward retirement, The only way we can do that is by helping you clean up your overall financial house. So it's really the best avenue for addressing these concerns. Obvious question, but how does it help the company owners, the CFOs, the HR professionals? It's difficult to quantify this in dollars. However, I think if you really think this through and you look at the cost to employee morale, to productivity and all of those things, there absolutely is a dollar cost associated with having financially stressed employees. So... While I can't give you an exact figure, Danny, I think anybody who's really thinking about this can say, yeah, I can see how that's not really helping the bottom line. Is there a way if we can encourage people to be better off financially, reduce some of those concerns, that's going to be good for the company bottom line. And on the hiring side, you know, I consume a lot of media. I see a lot. I mean, people are still hiring, right? Every good post or radio ad that I've heard, what do they say at the end? and includes a 401k. That's important. Yes. And if you can add financial coaching, financial wellness benefit to that, all the better because people are looking for it. It's going to help you. It's going to help them. It's a dynamic employment environment, Danny, and people need to start thinking differently if they really want to recruit and retain the best people. 
Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Sunday the 11th. Quick break. We're going to be back. You're listening to 92.5 Fox News. Someone asks how you are. Most of the time, it's good. So how's your money, your investments, your retirement plans? Given everything going on, good might not be the answer. It's time for Annex Wealth Management. Head to AnnexWealth.com. Click the Get Started button. Annex will build a plan that addresses your financial, retirement, tax, and estate planning. Annex Wealth Management can change the conversation. We don't want you to answer good. We want you to feel the confidence of saying great. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. AnnexWealth.com. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Just a quick reminder, this show will be on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel at the top of the hour. So like to hear it again, maybe you came in late on it. That's no problem at all. Just go to Spotify, look for Annex Wealth Management. A little bit earlier, we had a in-depth look at the investment committee. And Dave Spano, President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management, you're on the show quite a bit. Derek's on the show quite a bit. But I like when Matt came on and kind of talked about what they did because there were things that I... I mean, I've been here almost five years that I didn't know because that is a not a secret group, but it's a special <laughs> elite group that we have. The thing that I pointed out, I'm not sure if you, you and Derek were talking, but I didn't know that there are firms that just get this information shipped to them. They don't have that in-house. Mm-hmm. There's a difference. Yeah, there's no question. You're talking about the know the difference checklist. And we see that a lot from RIA firms. You know, we talk to uh, other firms and they go, you've brought this team in? I said, yes. It's, you know, we have a PhD and, and Derek has, of course, uh, an undergrad from Dartmouth, a we master's a degree C- from a, board, a number of CFAs yep. in the platform. And why we did that is we're absorbing that cost. And yep. a lot of investment advisors will ship that ability out to another group. Well, there's a cost to do that. They're not doing that as an Iliamasan It's not free, right? And so they go through and they do that work and they charge for it. We are absorbing that cost. Those are employees of the firm, really smart guys. And I'll tell you, I, in the trading team is not that far from my office. And it's always a spirited, thoughtful conversation. And so it's it's good to have that. And of course, that is one of the differences. Well, it's funny because Matt used the word lively. And yeah. so I'd like to be a fly on the wall in there sometime. But I'm glad that everybody's not in lockstep. And I'm glad that we have people from different backgrounds right. that are working with that. Yeah, there's no question. And that is the reason you think about, you know, with your firm, is it a guy or is it maybe just a couple of guys? And do they subcontract that investment portion out to a third party? And what are you paying for that? So, you know, know what you own and what you're paying for. That When I'm saying that, that's what I want folks to know is know what you're paying for. And I see it in all other ways, not just shipping out investment advisory service to a third firm, but I also see this, Danny, which is really shocking to me is, you know, people go through and say, all right, here is the financial plan. You know, we'll do a cursory plan of the, you know, one or two people we have. But then what they'll do is they'll say, you know, see this bond portion of your portfolio? Let's substitute the bond portfolio with an annuity. And all of a sudden, you, the people have come in and shown this to me. And all of a sudden, there's a 9% commission that's going to this air quote fee only fiduciary. I mean, it's shocking to me that that's happening. But that is what's, what we're seeing. Well, you know who likes that? Yeah, of course, the guy who sells the commission, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, of course, that's right. So that's the reason why I always say know what you own, what you're paying for it. You know, you said that for a long time, and I've had some friends say, you know what, I, I don't know what I own. 
Right. And of course, you know, that's the reason why we go through this process and say, here are all the holdings. This is what's in that portfolio. This is how your asset allocation looks. And by the way, we do this core and tactical investing. And so, you know, we can make those those moves on the outside, you know, overweight or underweight a particular position. And, and that is important. So, you know, what are you doing in your portfolio? Who's on your team? You know, we look around here and talked about the investment team. Let's not forget about the CPAs and the lawyers and the CFAs and the CFPs that we have on staff. You know, there's, that is what I mean when I talk about know the difference. Who is the team? Who's helping you? It's not just one guy trying to give you an advice. We did a webinar last week, and I saw the core and tactical, and yeah. I thought that was really interesting because. Right. And do you ever worry that we're giving away the state all, secrets all, all the time? All the time, yeah. There's other there's people who listen to us and say maybe we're just trying to copy what Annex is doing, but that's okay. I mean, you know, we really know that that at the end of the day, quality human beings talking to quality human beings is the best part well, of that. Then again, if somebody's copying, eventually when you've got an estate planning issue, well, they, they don't walk down the hall they and can't. talk to the estate planning team. No, and of course, and that is exactly right, Dan. It's, of course, when you have a change, you know, you write a financial plan and you put it on a shelf, well, things change. People's lives change. You know, people's jobs change. There's, there's deaths and there's there's births that is always changing. It's the reason why we go through this process. So, folks, look at our Know the Difference checklist, understand who you're working with, and, of course, know what you own why you own it, and how much you're paying for it. How much you're paying for it. Head to our website, folks. It's AnnexWealth.com. 2023 is looming large. What will it uh, contain? We're going to find out. Let's do it together, right? What should you expect from your investment and retirement planning partner? consistency, transparency. That's how it works here. Head to AnnexWealth.com, click that Get Started button. Let's get you ready. We're going to be back here next Sunday at noon. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 92.5 Fox News. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.